0: Chapter One, Revelation Chapter One. We saw uh, last week it was quite a fearsome picture, really. That you know, most people when they think of Jesus, they may not think of him in these terms. But uh, but John had been shown some things here. He's been given some disclosure that most people hadn't gotten, and he's recording what he saw here. And he got a picture of uh, you know the the uh, the resurrected uh, Jesus here that. And maybe it would conjure up a little bit of a different image in our mind than what we'd usually think of when we think of, of Jesus. Um, like in verse 14, it says, in his eyes, were as a flame of fire. Very intense, right? Very, very vivid. It might even sound piercing. Um, but that's how he described it. And it said, his feet were on to fine, uh, fine brass, very strong, very stable. And as if, and he's just, he's using terms here to describe it the best he can. He says, you know, like unto, as if, right? As a, and uh, as if they burned with a, a, in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He says a powerful voice, and I don't know what comes to mind right now. It's just like the voice you might think of, like rushing waters. And we have a lot of uh, rushing water. You know, Maine, I guess, is one of the states that has most water in, 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 the, uh, in the United States, right? And uh, in springtime, you know, you, sometimes you hear uh, the rivers and the streams and the dams, that, that sound of rushing water. So you can kind of conjure up the imagery of what he's describing here. And it says he had in his right hand seven stars. We don't know what that's all about yet, but it says, and out of his mouth, went a sharp two-edged sword. And so his, 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 his mouth, when it spoke, it spoke. Not only did it speak with power, but some sort of authority here. And uh, we know that the, that the Bible, God's word is described as, is, as being sharp as a two-edged sword. It is discerning. It is piercing. It, is, it does the work that needs to be done um, as it goes forth, even in our hearts. And so he's, he's describing Jesus Christ here. And, uh, you know, that, that same hand, though, and this is kind of the conclusion that we came to uh, at the end of the message last week, that same hand, and it describes his right hand. And in the Bible, when you see there the right hand, that's the, that's the hand of strength. That's the hand of power that it's describing. And it says it held the seven stars. But look, that same hand of power, that same hand of strength, what does it say in verse 17? It says he laid his right hand upon me you see the hand of power and strength is also the hand of tenderness and the, the, the hand of, of of compassion because look what happened when 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 john saw the sight of the resurrected jesus christ he says when i saw him i fell at his feet as dead <laughs> it's like i had no recourse um I fainted once in my life, and it was a really strange occurrence because I didn't really, I didn't really feel like I was falling. I just felt like I was, in the, I was actually in the kitchen. I'd been outside in the sun. I think I was, I was mowing the lawn or something, a hot summer's day, and I came into the kitchen, the linoleum there in the kitchen, and I didn't feel like I fell. I just felt like the linoleum came up and slapped me in the head. The strangest thing. I was like, what was that all about? And then I just kind of came to. I was laying on the floor. I passed out. And uh, you think here, um, uh, John having seen this, this, this fearsome sight of the Lord Jesus Christ at this point, and he just fell down like he's dead, incapacitated as it were. And it was at that point, because, you know, when we see, when you see God, when, we, when God meets us in that sense, it is a humbling thing. When we get a picture of who God is, it does remind us of how small we are. You know, And in our heart, we might fall down before him as dead. But it's at that point, you know, where God says, hey, he comes and put that that same hand, that same right hand of power upon us, says, I'm for you. I'm for you. You don't have to be afraid. Man, that's kind of a good starting point to be afraid of God. A lot of people are pretty brash about the concept of God today, you know, uh, they know in their heart of hearts that He exists, but they're opposing Him at every turn and rebelling against Him and showing anything but fear uh, to, to God. So it is a good starting point for wisdom. The Bible says the fear of the, of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But when we're at that point, you know, God is so faithful. Just remind us He's for us, He loves us. Remember a few weeks ago, for God so loved the world, right? That same God. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I pray as we, as we continue in this passage, Lord, we are thankful. Um, for your love for us. We are thankful for the fact that because you loved us, you gave us these truths to show us. Lord, so we don't have to fear. So we don't have to be insecure. We don't have to be uncertain. We can proceed with anticipation and, 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 and with great hope and, and with confidence uh, because we know you're in charge and, and uh, because we know you have the plan. Thank you for that plan, uh, that your paramount plan for the ages will never be denied, Lord. And just thank you for the privilege of being a part of it. Just open up these truths uh, further for us, Lord, as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. And the same, the same voice, the same mouth, the same mouth that was as the sound of many waters and sharp as a two-edged sword, the, that same um, word from God says to, to John, fear not. Fear not. The hand of power. (laughs) The voice of authority. The one that we would be in awe of. The one that we would even say, you know, he is a fearsome God. You know, says, don't fear. Don't fear. Be comforted. My hand is upon you. And then he goes on to say this. I am he that liveth. I am the first and the last. I am the constant one. I am the constant one. Now, let me ask you this. How many constants are there in your life? Like things you can always count on 100% to stay the same. I mean, kind of, you know, the cliche one that we like to, you know, kind of make fun of in that regard is the weather forecaster, right? The great prognosticators of the weather. I mean, what did they say? This last storm was supposed to be three inches, right? Well, that's the one we got 12 inches for. Uh, a week ago, we were supposed to get 12 inches, and I think we got like a dusting. Right, and uh, so you know when it comes to weather, we say in Maine, "Hey, look, if you don't like the weather, you know what is it? Wait 15 minutes or whatever." There's very few constants in life. Things that you can say, "I can count on that happening." Right? We know we have people here of various occupations and and you know various businesses and so on. And you you try to make a plan, and uh, you try to get all the numbers in line, and you try to say, "Hey, you know, uh, I think I have it all set up. So this is going to happen." But are there any guarantees, really? Um, I was talking to somebody this morning that uh, you know is a real estate agent. Well, you got the you know you got the uh, uh, the interest rate fluctuations. You got the market that, that goes this way, that way, and every way. Uh, you got fickle buyers and sellers, and there's just all those things in life. You know, that's just an illustration of the fact there's very few guarantees. Very few guarantees. Let me say this: when it comes to the biggest issue of all. The God who made us, the God who gave a plan for what it's all about, aren't you glad that with Him we have guarantees? Aren't you glad that He is the first and the last? That He's not the one that's subject to all the uncertainties of life? Look, on any given day, you know, I mean, things might come your way that you didn't expect, and, and, and things can change in a hurry, and there's ups and downs and all arounds. But God, through it all, is always left standing never faltering, never surprised, right? Never like, oh, no, what are we going to do now? I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> he's the first and the last. He's the constant one. He's the constant one. And he says, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth. He is lasting and he is living. He is living. And we've seen that sometimes. I serve a risen Savior. <laughs> he's in, uh, uh, he's in my, my heart today. He's in, he's in the world. And, uh, and, and we, have a, we have a living Savior. And that is unique. I mean, if you want to talk just in aspects about world religions, and I've studied world religions. I've, uh, I've taken time to compare a lot of different aspects of what are called religions. And, and Christianity is, is called a, a religion. I mean, we know that it's, it's a relationship, ultimately, not, not a religion. But it's looked at as, you know, one of those, it's a belief system. It is very unique. It has a leader that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that proved that he was the life by conquering death. You know that all, if you, if you study the founders of religion, and Jesus Christ is, is considered, right, to be the founder of Christianity, he's, he's, the, uh, he's the champion of Christianity. You know, that, that the people who founded religions, you know, most of them, they, they studied their life, they, they, they came to a point where they, they had no guarantees for themselves, let alone others. They came in their life to, to a time where they, they realized that they they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't conquer death on their own, and they were trying to enlighten themselves and lead others to enlightenment. But they 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 came to the conclusions even on their deathbed to say, "I don't th- I haven't found that for myself. I'm tormented in my own death. I have no certainty in my own death." Uh, Siddhartha Gautama and uh, and uh, uh, Muhammad. Um, you know, they, they, I believe they, they, they sincerely um, sought to, to uh, the first of the Buddha and, and Muhammad, uh, they, they sincerely sought to find truth. But when it came down to these, these, these founders of religions that are perpetuated through through the earth and that even you know millions and millions of people are, are adhering to even today. their very leaders. Could not make the claims or back them up that Jesus made. And that's just one out of many, 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 many reasons. That's just one of the reasons why I, follow, why I follow Jesus. You know, it's historically documented, and there were hundreds of witnesses to the fact that Jesus came back to life after being in, 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 in the tomb, having died as a criminal, being in the tomb for three days. When we talk about Jesus Christ, that Jesus is being spoken here, I've referred to him a couple times already as the resurrected Savior. Did that mean anything to you when you heard that? That's the fact that he is living. <laughs> and he says to John here, he says, I am lasting and I am living. And he puts it in these terms I am he that liveth and was what? I was dead. In fact, not only am I the lasting one, but I am the one that succumbed myself to death, the thing that every human being, if we're to be honest about it, is the greatest uncertainty that human beings have. I mean, look, we can get the whole world on on top of it all. We can can, uh, uh, get the plan. We can put it all. We can orchestrate it. Many people do in the American dream, whatever you want to call it. They got the plan. They got the retirement plan. They got the package. They got it all figured out, and they may live it all to its fullest. But somewhere along the line, that's going to come to an end. That's going to come to an end somewhere along the line. And the Bible says riches take up wings and fly away right? When's that going to happen? Well, that's one of the uncertainties, and uh, we don't know when that's going to happen, and so the great thing uh, that that people, you know, have have tried to find a way to overcome, and we're all in the same boat, and it's a sinking boat, ultimately, they can't overcome death, (laughs) but there's one who did, and he's the lasting one, and he's the one that says uh, that you don't have to ultimately perish, but can have everlasting life. Now, look, if someone offered me everlasting life, and I said to them, well, do you have it? And they would say, well, no, I, I, I don't really, you know, I can't really claim to have it, but I, I'm, I, I hope you have it, and, and here's a way maybe you could get it. I don't know, that to me wouldn't be a, a great sales pitch, okay? I'd have, to, I'd have to think of it, you know, pretty long and hard before I threw all my eggs in that basket. But if there was one... who physically died after saying that he was the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life, he claimed, before he died. And then he backed that up <laughs> after being in the tomb and he came to back to life and there was hundreds of witnesses that saw that and it was documented and it was recorded and we know that it was true and we can and we can see the evidence even in our lives today. That's the one I want to be with right there. Because if you're talking about, you know, if you're talking about belief systems to adhere to, to me, they're all just man's ideas that I hope so, and this sounds like it could be great, and I might have some wonderful experience with this, but they don't ultimately hold hold water. You know what Jeremiah calls them? Jeremiah calls it hewing out cisterns or wells that don't hold water. What does mankind do? They try to, apart from God, dig their own system, dig out their own well. They labor at it. They work at it. They try to figure it out. And they, and they put all this effort into it. And ultimately, it doesn't end up holding water. Where God says, look, you know, I have this to offer to you. It's all made. It's all prepared. It holds water. It holds the living water, the Bible calls it. <laughs> and, uh, and here it is. And here it is. And so, why am I a preacher? Because it's kind of like, you know, American, as, um, the United States has always had a certain number of preachers, and it's kind of like part of our tradition, and, and some, you know, certain people just kind of choose that as their occupation, and it's kind of neat, you know, we got to have some pastors, and, and it's a respected thing. That to me, I wouldn't have any interest in that. I mean, there Honestly, there'd be hundreds of things on the list that I would put before being a preacher if it was just that. But when I see who Jesus is, and when I see the message of life and light, when I see the plan that God has, when all my big questions for life come together and they're met in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, the one that conquered death, and the one that prepared eternal life for me, when all that comes together, I'm like, man, that is, that is not only a cause worthy of adhering to personally, but it's also a belief system that I could get up and be excited about and speak about every week. And it'll never get old. <laughs> never get old. And uh, if the gospel has gotten old to you, you don't fully understand the gospel. If the gospel is just like, you know, I put in my Bible one day uh, uh, a date, in the time, on a day, and I go back and look at that and think, you know, that was a, that was a, a neat time in my life, amongst all the other, you know, experiences I've had. If that's all the gospel is, I'm, 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 we're really missing what it is to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that we see here in the book of Revelation the first and the last, the one who was dead and is now alive, and the one that because he was dead and is now alive, can make it so that when we were dead, we could be alive again. And the Bible says that he came, that very Jesus came not only to give us life, but to give it to us more abundantly. To give us abundant life. In other words, it wasn't just about an abundant moment. It was about an abundant life. Now, look, I do appreciate it if if people have a testimony, they can remember when it was, where they were, the date, the weather, you know, who was there, or the time when they accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. I think that's wonderful. I don't personally have have that that detailed testimony of, of that day. But you know what I do have? I know what I believe, and I know that it's based upon God's Word, and I know because it's based upon God's Word, I can count on it. And and, and, and nothing's going to be able to take that away. It's an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven for me. Because my dependence is upon the word of God and upon the one that we see here in this passage, the one that was the first and the last. He is lasting and he is living. And uh, and so um, young people need to keep this fresh. Second generation Christians, third generation Christians, this needs to be fresh. People that have been in Clinton Baptist Church for a long time, we need to often think about the gospel. We need to think about the living Savior. We need to not let anything interrupt our stride as we joyfully proceed uh, for Him. And I am He that liveth, Jesus says, and I was dead. And when you recognize who God was and you were humbled before him and you were even broken by that, I came alongside you. I put my hand upon you. I said, you are my child. Don't fear. I have not given you the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Don't fear. Uh, think about who I am. I got a plan for you, John. You know? I got a plan for you, Aiden. I got a plan for you, Rusty. I got a plan for you, Julie. And Chris. And I go right around all of us, you know. God, God will put His strong hand upon every one of you in that way. I'm He that liveth; it. who was dead, and behold, not only am I am I am I alive now, but I look at this. It says, "And behold, I am alive forevermore. I am alive forevermore." And uh, you know, I told you a few weeks ago about um, this thing with with uh, cryonics. And how they're trying to, well, they are. They're freezing people, right? And they're hoping that technology somehow um, is able to, you know, get to the point where they can, they can unthaw them and, and, and help them to continue to be living. Um, people are working with a lot of technology right now. They're trying to combine AI with, with you know, people that have been given soul and spirit by God. Uh, artificial intelligence to try to prolong death, to even create, oh, sorry, prolong life, to prolong life and to even cre- uh, create life. Um, basically, what we have, you know, is, is just that spirit of the Tower of Babel all over again. It's all over again, right? Let's, let's build this and make a name for ourselves. As human beings, you know, let's build what we want to build, uh, being accountable to know God, we are God. Let's create, you know, this utopia on earth, Let's try to fabricate everything that we want to control in a certain way without God. We're going to build this and make a name for ourselves, right? And, and ultimately, it's going to fail. It's going to fail. We're going to, we're going to see here the, the disclosures that were given in the book of Revelation. that man is going to give its best shot. It's going to take the, the, he's going to take the best swing at it. And the best that they're going to be able to do, the best that man is going to be able to do is get three and a half years of man fabricated peace on earth until the wheels fall off of that and crashes and burns like it never has before. Why? Because the only one that gives eternal life is the one that can say, I am alive forevermore. In fact, he has the key to all the locks as well. Look at the end of this verse here it says, Amen. Think about that. Process that. Take that to heart. And then it says this, And I have the keys of hell and of death. <laughs> That's authority right there. That is the one that, that says, you know, I rise above it all. I am ultimately in charge of it all. And I have the keys. I have the keys of Sheol. I have the keys of of, uh, of Hades, as it were, and of death. Now, remember, Jesus in, in in Ephesians chapter four, it says he actually went down into Hades, and the Bible describes uh, Sheol in the Old Testament, Hades in the New Testament. It describes this place, and then there's a gulf in between the two sections of it, and at one point, uh, there were, the both sections were inhabited. The one side was called Abraham's bosom, and it was inhabited by uh, those uh, uh, followers of the Lord who died with a relationship with the Lord. All right, they would go to Abraham's bosom. The other side um, was inhabited by those uh, whose spirit was separated from God, and uh, it was uh, the Old Testament. It was, it was called uh, Gehenna, and uh, it was a place of uh, it was a place of, of the torment that comes of being separated from God. And um, Lazarus in the book of Luke actually describes that uh, place, actually the rich man, right? Lazarus, of course, went to the, the, the Abraham's bosom side, right? And he was ministered to there by then. He was poor in life, remember? He had to eat out the crumbs of the rich man. He had to eat like, you know, sometimes like get, get what, what the dogs would get. And people would look at him and say, I feel sorry for that guy. But he had the joy of the Lord, and he had a relationship with God. And when he died, you know, he was taken, he was ministered to by the angels, and uh, he was given refreshment. And he would have been there when Jesus himself descended there, the Bible says in, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, to lead captivity captive. In other words, he took the ones that, are, that were confined there to Abraham's bosom, he took them captive with himself that where he was, they would evermore be with him. Psalm 16 says that uh, that Jesus, when he died, he descended to the lower parts of the earth, but his soul did not suffer corruption. In other words, he went down into those regions, but he did not suffer the corruption that the dead suffer when uh, uh, when they didn't have a relationship with God. And that, 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 that place is, is still in confinement. Uh, remember the rich man. The rich man lived a lavish life. No regard for God. He had it all together. He could build his own life. He didn't need God until the day when that ended. Right? It doesn't even give his name. It just says that he was a rich man. And he found himself in torments. In Sheol. And... His greatest desire that he was consumed by is this that somebody would come with a cool fresh drop of water and put it on his tongue. What a terrible thing to think of. That's what eternity is like when one is separated from the life-giver. That's why the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what repentance is? It's turning from our pride and our self-sufficiency and turning to the life giver. It's turning to the one who does have that two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And his eyes are like fire. And he has the strong right hand. But the one that, that could put his hand upon you and said, you don't need to fear any of that. I'm for you. I want you to be with me forever. Hey, look, for all the stuff we're gonna see in the book of Revelation that 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 is is fearsome and and, and is scary and it seems like wow that is you know that's a lot to process. You gotta see how the book ends. And it's going, to be a, it's going to be a wonderful thing when we get to that. I'm, I'm way ahead of myself, but I'm just saying that the heart of God comes through there again where he, where he just says, look, th- this is about life. This is about, this is about refreshment. This is about me knocking at a heart's door and you can have a relationship with me. This is about that I want everybody to come and partake of, of the water of life. And uh, as Christians, you know, that should be our greatest desire is, is anybody that we know, we would like to lead them. To Jesus Christ the life giver the one who is lasting the one who is living the one who ultimately has the keys of hell and of death and I like in the, in the book of, um, of Hebrews where it actually talks about uh, Jesus when he was down there he preached to the angels <laughs> think about that which angels were confined there <laughs> Um, it wasn't our guardian angels. It wasn't the angels that it speaks of here a little, a little further down we'll get to, uh, uh, as we conclude the message this morning. You know, He went down there and he gave truth to those angels because the Bible says that some of the fallen angels have already been confined to, to Sheol. Death and hell one day will be cast into the lake of fire. That's also in the book of Revelation. And so, so, they're, they're, so the ones in, in the uh, that haven't been set free by Jesus already to, to be in heaven with Him, those that are still confined there, they're waiting what the Bible calls the Great White Throne Judgment. I mean, have you heard of the Great White Throne Judgment before? If, as a Christian, that you'll you don't have to have any concerns about the Great White Throne Judgment except for the people that you know that aren't Christians yet, <laughs> because if one comes to the, to their to the end of their days here on earth and they end up going to this place that, that here is called um, hell, the Sheol, they will have to wait there. They have not gonna, they're going to be wait, waiting there with, the, with, with the, some of the angels that have been confined there as well, the ones that Jesus preached to, and they'll be there awaiting the time of, of the great white throne judgment. That time will it be, will it be shown. If they're holding on to their pride, it'll be shown why it is that at that point, they are irrevocably separated from the life-giver himself. And so it, Jesus says, I have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things, write these things, uh, uh, John. In, in, in light of what I'm telling you here, write these things down. And we're, we're benefiting from that today. He wrote them down. Write the things which thou hast seen. You have seen these things, the things which are, all right, during this age, the things that are right now. And the things which shall be hereafter. And so there's a history that the Bible gives. And there's a current age that the Bible speaks of. And John was in that age. It's called the church age. But the church age was going to come to an end. And we're giving some disclosure about things that are going to come after the church age. And, uh, and it says, write these things down. The mystery of the seven stars, which I saw by my right hand. The seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. You know that the churches, every 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 one of those churches is going to be mentioned, even the ones that were seemed like they were dead. You know these dead churches, and there wasn't much going on there for the true gospel. But Jesus said, you know, those those are still my churches. I'm still working there. I'm still hoping that they get with the program. Each one of them had an angel. I believe each church today has an angel. Some people say because angel is spoken of in terms of messenger sometimes as the preacher. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think they're just talking about angels. I think each church has a particular angel that looks out for that church. You know, the, the, the Bible talks about that there's demons that are in charge of certain areas, princes of palates. There's demons right now that are assigned to come after our church. There's demons that want to oppress us here today to get us distracted, to get us on his agenda. The devil's agenda, and there's angels. There's an angel, I believe, that's assigned to Clinton Baptist Church, because we are a church of Jesus Christ, that's assigned to our church, that's doing warfare, that's bolstered by our prayers, that's, that's strengthened when we're in tune with the spiritual warfare. When we're in tune that it goes beyond just a little, you know, trivial uh, um, uh, physical issues to the fact that this is about a spiritual battle, and when we're in tune with that. And uh, um, so he says, look, there's there's seven stars. These are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks, which I'll saw as, are are the seven churches. And so the things which are right now, the things which are, which he's going to be writing down about, and we're going to see in chapter 2, is going to be about things related to the church age. Now, when chapter 2 and chapter 3 come to an end, you never hear the church mentioned again. It's all about the church here. These are the things that are. I mean, we're going to have to pay attention to these things. This is, this is Jesus, whose church it is, that's going to write his thoughts and his heart specifically to the churches, to so seven churches represented, I believe, of the, of the fullness of the church age. And so the words of Jesus, if you have a red-letter Bible, right, chapters 2 and chapter 3, is all Jesus talking to the, to, to the churches, Right? And then chapter 4 comes and says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet, talking with me, which said, Come up hither. Does that sound familiar? A trumpet? Come up hither? <laughs> I think we're seeing what, what, what John, you know, through space and time, what well, he was transported to there. And after that time, we don't, we don't see the church mentioned again. We still see God working. We still see, you know, God uh, uh, reaching people with with the gospel. But the time for the church is right now. The time for us to have revival in our hearts for what we're here for and what we're supposed to be about is right now. There's going to come a time when the church age is done with and the main people whose message it was and whose job it was to get out that message of the gospel, that that opportunity is going to be over with. You know, the, the, the chance to go pick up some kids and bust them in here so they can hear, hear about Jesus as a church, that's not going to happen anymore. Time to have a friend Sunday where you can invite some friends, you know, that hopefully because we love them, want them to hear about God, we're not going to have that opportunity anymore. To have a time where you just think about your co-workers and your neighbors and think about their need to have a relationship with God as a church, we're just not going to have that opportunity anymore. God's going to work in some different ways, and it's going to be pretty exciting. Some of the things that He still continues to do, we'll see those things to get the gospel message out, but right now, it's us. And in the next two chapters, he's going to get after the churches. Now, look, as a preacher, Jesus didn't hold back. So it's not my prerogative to hold back either. So when we look at the churches, <laughs> Jesus is going to be pretty straightforward with us, okay? And there's going to be some things that we see as Jesus in those fiery eyes that sees exactly what's going on, right? Right? I know we can put on the dog, okay? I mean, I got the, uh, I've got the Baptist outfit going on here this morning, all right, with some swanky new shoes, okay? And I'm, I'm, a, I'm glad to do that. Hey, look, if I could dress up a little bit on Sundays for the Lord, he's totally worth it. I don't have a problem with that at all. But I'm saying, look, this is not necessarily indicative of what's going on in your heart and my heart. You can get the tie, the suit, and the Bible and everything else and, and come on in here and put on the dog for a while. But you know what? Jesus knows exactly what's going on in our hearts. And he knows exactly what the condition of our church is. And with these seven churches here, he's going to get after some particulars and he's going he's to say, hey, look, are you interested in being a church that's truly under my headship or are you just going to keep playing these games you're playing? No, no, I'm just paraphrasing a little bit, and this isn't all he's going to say. Hey, look, he's going to encourage them with some things, too, that they are doing right. He's going to say these are some good things you going got to continue in. But he's going to get some warnings. He's going to get some exhortations. He's going he's gonna to light a fire underneath them a little bit, right? And uh, if, they, if these churches needed it, then I can guarantee you there's going to be some specific things that we're going to be touched on as well. But don't say, hey, uh, maybe I'll take a little break from church until those... Those uh, messages are over with. No, no, that's the that's the wrong, that's the wrong approach. We should be as a church. Hey, Jesus, tell us whatever you want, because if you say Lord, I want to be on board of that, because that is the most exciting cause that there is to be a part of on planet Earth right now, the Church of Jesus Christ, and we're in that age, and uh, and Jesus said here, uh, Jesus said here, I'm lasting, I'm living, um, you know, I've got the lock and key, it's all under my control. The mystery of the seven stars, verse 20, which I saw as in my right, right hand, the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. God's taking care of his church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the seven candlesticks, which I saw is, are the seven churches. Jesus is invested in his church. Remember another, well, we talked about the Sunday school this morning. I'll conclude with this, this illustration. In Sunday school, we talked about Saul, who was persecuting the church. Do you realize how personal Jesus takes that? Jesus loves his church. He cherishes it. It's like a, you know, the the picture, it's like a husband who cherishes their wife or like like a parent who cherishes their child. And their heart beats for it. They love it. They not only would die, but Jesus did die for his church. And when Saul was met on that road to Damascus, when he was was badgering the church of Jesus and he was uh, 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 throwing them in prison and he was persecuting them, what did Jesus say? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You know why? Jesus loves his church. Jesus is protective of his church. Jesus gives an angel, sent from him, a messenger from him, to help with the church. And Jesus has given us his word. He's given us his word. Lord, thank you.